0: Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, The Latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. This week on the show, though, we're doing something very different. Uh, normally, we would have a guest on and discuss whatever the latest uh, new releases or news tidbits would be. But this week, we're going to air an interview I did with writer-director Stephen Karam and actor Richard Jenkins. Uh, there's a new movie out this week called The Humans. It is adapted from Stephen's Tony Award winning play of the same name. Um, interesting sort of mix of like family drama. Like it, it is about a a, thanks, <laughs> a Thanksgiving celebration among a family in New York City at a, in the sort of dingy apartment of one of the daughters. But it's got some kind of like tinges of a thriller with little bits of horror in there. And it was just fun to talk to Stephen about the process of adapting this this work of his from stage to screen. I think this is one of the more interesting stage to screen adaptations in recent years or maybe that I've ever seen. Um, and I, I kind of can't imagine how it would have been a play after having seen it as a movie. And Richard, who stars in the movie, I mean, he's just one of our great character actors. And it was so much fun to talk to him about his career and the various different movies he's had a chance to work on and people he's had a chance to work with so stay tuned listen to that interview in the coming weeks uh i'm sure after the thanksgiving holiday we'll bring hunter Howman back on the show to discuss house of gucci and probably go over some of the other award season films that have kind of been trickling out over the the last weeks that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about on the show Well, I I first just wanted to say I I really enjoyed the movie and and congratulations. I know it's it's no small feat putting a a movie out into the world, especially during these times. Um I I have to also give a a maybe embarrassing state of admission of I was totally unfamiliar with the play um before watching it. And so I'm I'm fascinated first by kind of where the idea for just the story as a story kind of came from and then what made you decide later on down the road, like, hey, I, th- I think that actually might work really well as a movie.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I actually love that you haven't, um, that you weren't familiar with the play, because I feel like it's, in some ways, it's a, an even more pure experience of, of seeing the film. And, and Richard Jenkins, to this day, I believe has never read the play. Wow. He read the screenplay, and and one of the first positive signs I, I had, both of course because I loved him, but that I thought a positive sign in in the decision to make it a movie was that he said, How is the ever a play? <laughs> was what he wanted to first know. And I was like, okay. So I did write a screen, like this is this is a movie. Um but I the origin story, I mean, way back when I was thinking about could I tell a story? I was trying to process. My own anxiety, my own fears—the things that were keeping me up at night. People I loved, keeping them up at night. And um, I was just—I love uh, thrillers, psychological thrillers, the horror genre. Um, I love family dramas. I love family comedies. And I was just thinking, like, is maybe is there there's a worry to talk about how people, how I, how people I love are processing their own anxieties and fears. In the context of a story that maybe even is a little scary. Um, so I guess its earliest origins were sort of mashing up genres in a kind of in a much quieter, not explicit way, but just in terms of thinking of ideas. And I started to write about a family and gave each one of them what I thought was a pretty great existential fear. Uh, fear of like ill health, fear of losing the love of someone, fear of poverty, like money anxieties, um, fear of criticism, like uh, basically started there like I was making a murder mystery almost um, and my love for the, who those people were and their complexity took over uh, uh, and, and so it became less pure genre than I thought but um, the results to this day, uh, uh, even when I had written the play, was a play that was very much started by my love of certain film genres. So the decision to then turn it into a film was more the terror of, I think I do know how to make this into a movie, but the play went well and it's, the way to do it right in a new genre is going to be to take it apart and, and reinvent it to tell the, to keep the soul and the heart um, of the story alive. And i had never had that experience before, where the way to, to preserve the guts of the thing was to make it so different in a new genre. But I, I was excited and, re- and sort of ready for that challenge at the same time, because then I, I was like, well, I'm not afraid to fail. Uh, I, I'm just much more afraid to do something that feels safe and where people were like good play middling middling adaptation like played it safe and just you know over the shoulder over the shoulder was so panicked by the film the play working that I just literally filmed the play you know
0: yeah I mean were there any aspect you mentioned kind of like breaking it apart were were there any aspects of the the final product with the film where you, you found it changed from the play, even in ways that you probably didn't intend, whether it be like lines that maybe came off more comedic in the play that all of a sudden took on like a more dark undertone where were there kind of aspects like outside of what you conceived where it just sort of morphed into this thing beyond what you expected.
1: Yeah, I mean I'd say that the things watching it the premiere, the world premiere at the Toronto Film Festival with uh, at the Princess of Wales Theater. So suddenly you have hundreds of people and there's been no you've even editing the movie in the dark. It was very clear to me like that I could not believe as somebody who loves the genre, I could not believe that like Jane Howdy Shell walking down a hallway and opening a mirrored door and seeing Be- Beanie Feldstein on the side literally made hundreds of people <laughs> gasp and jump. Like moments like that where I knew that potential was there, but that's when you actually can't tell whether that's just going to be like an internal feeling, like that some people will will be a little internally jumpy right. at that moment, as opposed to something that was so much more exciting and fun than I had hoped for, which is that people were so, you're so lulled into a thing being one thing or another. If it's a holiday story about a family, you're not expecting it to really for there to be a real jump scare. So I'd say the opportunity for specific scares connected to emotional experiences worked so much better and were so much more literally in that specific moment scary than they ever could be controlled on stage. It's why stage thrillers aren't done so much anymore. It's part of it is it's very hard to be scary in a theater, it can be done. It's just because everybody has a different vantage point you, you try to get a thousand people who, based on whether they're in the balcony or in the front row, they're you not even looking at the same thing from in the same way. And so it's very hard if you're going to even reveal a ghost on stage. You can't quite control what that experience is for everyone. And so I would say that the first thing that comes to mind is like that without thinking emotionally, I've changed anything. The scarier moments feel scarier. I'm equally proud that the the funny moments still make people still make the crowds on the festival circuit laugh, and so I guess it's a little bit of both. There have been some new surprises, and the old to see familiar things still work and translate has been has been fun too.
0: That's interesting. Before you started, I mean, you mentioned being like a big fan of the thriller genre and and of kind of these these family dramas. Were were there any previous films that you kind of looked back on? For inspiration, or, or that were either like inspirations for the story itself, um, and that you kind of thought, oh, this would be like something along this avenue would be an interesting kind of visual language for this movie.
1: Yeah, there were like, it's probably like four major influences that just kept coming back. Um, uh, where to start? So, so the Edward Edward Yang's movie, mm-hmm. a movie mm-hmm. about a family, three-hour gorgeous movie. Um, a Taiwanese family, it takes place, you know, over the course of a couple months and is very much a huge part of it is interior. And the family is shot frequently, most often in wide shots, uh, filmed through doorways, half-heard conversations. Um, and there was something about like what I love about filmmaking is when the stuff you can name and the other stuff when you're assembling ideas that are just based on just your like emotionally. Someone else will write an essay about what people through doorways and families and, you know, an 18 millimeter focal length, someone else will write that essay. (laughs) I just know what I'm feeling when I see, it does something very different than the close up that is demanding that uh, the specificity of what the person is feeling is they're happy, they're sad, they're just much clearer and telegraph, telegraph something so, you know, specifically. And then I've always been obsessed with um, post-college the Kieslowski's Three Colors trilogies and the Decalogue. And particularly in like Three Colors Blue, I always loved how close he was, like obscenely close to objects and then also content to, to keep his distance. And so I thought a lot about like, well, what, what would it mean? Uh, what, what is it about these films I like where the camera's you know, very, very close and squishy on objects and also very, very wide. Um, And then there's just movies that I love, the way things that you love just inspire everything you do. So, Ollie Feareds the Soul, a Fassbender movie, mostly because the uh, middle-aged woman who's sort of one of the two main characters is frequently ensconced in pre-war architecture. And so, Loved by the filmmaker, the way he sh- he shoots Brigitte in that movie. I just thought of Jane Houdyshell, the actress who plays the mother, so often that it just became this sort of like comforting gateway into thinking about how um, to center her and uh, the camera might hold her. Um, so, so there's essentially millions and millions of films like this, but the the ones that, that kept coming up were uh, were those. And then you know in terms of like the thriller genre, like early Polanski was Uh. like, you know, he made The Tenant, which is, has an obsession about space and an apartment and sort of roving through windows in that opening caption scene. Um, And Repulsion, although you you don't necessarily, well, some people remember The Apartment very much, is is again, found myself just drawn to um, films that were very much in love with their characters and in love with pre-war uh architecture
0: Mm -hmm. so i i definitely was really excited to talk to you about kind of the way you shot this movie which is so different to where i i feel like most people expect kind of a, a stage the screen adaptation um i mean i when i think of like play adaptations it's you know a lot of kind of just getting coverage and you're wanting to get kind of like you want to clearly see the actors acting and kind of doing the play, and maybe they'll expand it and they'll go down to a coffee shop instead of the apartment or something. But I I thought it was so interesting that the camera is so removed it from what's happening between the interaction and the actors, and I I was just curious if you wanted to go any further of of kind of what the the thought process was to that and to kind of have like these blurry windows obscuring the um the action of what's going on or having your camera almost in a completely different room and only being able to see the family in kind of this small sliver
1: I, I there's a few things I can say I always think it's like a little it's always a little more complicated than like the the technical answer but I would say I always wanted to start as a voyeur sort of empowering the space um, hiding behind architecture or what have you but but, but sort of really centering the film in both the space's character, but also um, letting us, the six people you see walking around being deeply, deeply having known each other their whole lives, with the exception of Steven Young, who's having our experience of walking into this family uh, holiday for the first time. Um, so mirroring that sort of voyeur experience and sort of hiding back um, while still popping in for What I hope is like in effect, where maybe you're just like, oh my god, why suddenly you get, you know, uh, the early on close up of Richard Jenkins getting startled by Amy Schumer, where you're the close ups are really close on Richard's face, and when we're with Jane at the crudité table, they stand out, in other words. So you're, a, you're kind of a voyeur, or you're placed with them in these, in these specific moments, um, like Amy Schumer in the hallway. Uh, calling her girlfriend, but long story short, that that the camera also creeps closer so that like dinner, the camera is still closer but removed. So you're mm-hmm. still dealing with essentially what is like a five or a six shot of them at the table. A lot of the way that that dinner's filmed. By the time you come back for the pig smash, you're on a longer lens. You're going around the table, and you feel more like. Uh, uh, you now know the family so well, you're almost given a seat at the table for like mm-hmm. that moment. So there was some planning and thinking about like, we well, can't just keep coming back to the table with like, like the whole movie will literally feel like coverage, 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 coverage. <laughs> I literally feel like the entire movie's at the table because kind of it kind of is, including like, you know, big, big moments that would feel repetitive because it's just Jane having that beautiful monologue when she's at the Crudite table talking about the stuff that's going on in her life. So there was some technical planning like that. And then you have to just let that go when you're building and editing it. So like the big ideas anchor you or anchored me and made me feel like I understood and saw the movie. And then you just start to see it and feel it. Like, what does that actually feel like? Uh, And that's where I really felt kind of giddy in the editing room and where you're actually playing more with um, the reality of the, the, the intellectual ideas you start with and then how, you know, where's the, how do they actually feel? Like, what are they mm-hmm. actually doing? Um, so that's sort of, uh, the, the journey, I think maybe kind of answering your question.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, does, does having the camera in those kinds, cause like I've, I've heard Richard say in like other interviews so so often now that he didn't know where the camera even was a lot of the time. And like, I'm, I'm fascinated, like how how do you sort of like direct your actors and like work with them while also trying to have this very like voyeur um, aesthetic to where like it, it needs to seem as though like you you are hidden and you aren't even there, but still being able to communicate with them.
1: They were all warned. So part of what I didn't know is part of the boldness of being a first-time filmmaker is I thought there might just be mutiny when I announced it. But I started by basically saying like that I wanted their focus to be on listening to each other, because I really was going to shoot it a preposterous amount of two shots, three shots. That very rarely was I going, and we did have with very little time, low-budget movie. I was like, we're not. I really want to film it this way, and if you're relying on you know knowing half of your lines, it. So everybody was totally game completely trusting and it allowed for even those really slowly creeping shots where I should say the other the concept that we pulled off that I that I'm really proud of is that um, where you do both that you're very you start very far in the next room, and the camera creeps up and when Richard is talking about his dream you end up at the table in front somehow this like three minute shot was the widest shot of the film, and then becomes, you know, you, you sort of creep your way to a close up. And the same with Jane um, when she has her breakdown at the table at the end, it starts very sort of distant and framed by a wall, and the camera sort of creeps in closer to her right before she's, the desserts landed. So there's also playing with both of those. But, but I have to credit the cast. It, a movie just cannot be filmed this way unless you have six actors being good at the same time. It's like, otherwise it's why movies aren't made this way because it's so, even if you have brilliant actors it can just be hard to sort of line up two people being good on the same take or what it involves is so time consuming. And in this case, people were, everybody was so game and they were so confident in their bodies. Um, Not all brilliant film actors have that facility like head to toe I mean I don't have it I'm, I'm you know like if I looked at myself here I'd be like ugh, too, too stiff what's going on but you know what I'm talking about and it's like the joy of all of them was they all had that facility and I, I think part of knowing how I wanted to shoot it being a bonus something I wasn't thinking about is that it attracted the project attracted the right actors they were they were like you wouldn't want to do a movie, an ensemble movie like this uh, unless you really got that like what was valuable about it. And so i'm I'm super grateful to them because I think lost in the camera work, you can forget how the real marvel is like how everybody's react, like not just that like the person with lines is being good, but like you can really look anywhere in those frames and everyone's showing up for each other. so I, i'm I'm just like, I want to sing their
0: praises. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing that really struck, struck me about the movie is they they all feel like a cohesive family. I mean that's that's the other challenge I feel like with with movies like this is I've I've seen so many where it's it's a it's a family getting together for an awkward Thanksgiving but you're like I don't I don't buy that these people are related. And this there's a whole history there so I'm I'm fascinated. I mean maybe this is more of a a, a question for one of them but like was was there anything you kind of noticed of whether it was them kind of getting together for rehearsals outside of shooting or anything like that, or just kind of like hanging out together to kind of build that camaraderie, which I thought was just like, so magical on screen.
1: Yeah. I mean, part of it is like you luck out, like you, you do cast actors that you have, you feel like the energy is right and that it's great. But, but yes, immediately when they came together, there was a generosity. There was the thing I, had not even thought to ask for, because you can't plan for it, they all had extraordinary senses of humor. So they were all so funny together. And it's, it's you know, when you're on day one and you're on a break and you see them laughing together and poking fun at each other and already sort of riling each other up in a very like friendly way, it's sort of, uh, I sort of like sighed. I was like, Cause you, you can really take advantage of that kind of chemistry off screen, on screen, and, and they had it, they all had it. Jane and Richard, especially when they first met, you know, they have Midwestern roots. Jane's from Kansas, Richard's from Illinois. They knew similar people and Summerstock. You watch those conversations happen and you're just like, okay, we can build a 40 year marriage in five days. Um, because as you said, it's so important and there's just not a ton of dialogue in the uh, film. And so really what what you rely on is their body language and their chemistry and how even with Beanie and Steven, like their facility to tell the story of what their relationship is like, it doesn't come out in like backstory and like a lot of talk. It's basically like how they joke with each other, how they, you know, um, and they're just all so funny. And I loved, uh, I loved each and every one of them for that. I mean that's that just meant you could take advantage of you know like what makes them special and and exploit that on camera. Yeah,
0: were were there any I mean, maybe this is too personal a question, but are were there any aspects of like, you know, your own family or or people that or friend maybe family friends or someone like that, that you kind of brought into these characters? Cause there is such a specificity to them. And you mentioned kind of each of them embodying these own kind of anxieties and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm
1: all of these characters. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> meaning, meaning I, they were created out of like deep love. And so I, and complexity. And so I, I think regardless of their ages, there's a the part of me that yes, is drawing on, my own mother, my own father, but there's also part of me in Deirdre, the mother, there's also part of me in Eric, there's part of me in Stephen Young's character, exactly what that feels like, that situation of tip-toeing into someone else's family and to be a people pleaser. I know exactly what it feels like to be Beanie and you're 25 and somehow your mom's talking about a Lifetime movie and everyone else is fine with it. And you're like, mom, why are you such a horrible person? You know, the accumulation of 18 years of that relationship erupting and why is that feeling so large of like how you can snap at your mother. Um, So I think all those moments are almost probably embarrassingly familiar, which is why I can write them. But like, even the ones that are the most familiar are still fun to abstract so that to me, it's the gateway to just being more truthful and more uh, nakedly honest. Is not to be like uh, literal. Uh-huh. If I were to literally put my family uh, on screen, I don't think I could tell the truth. I think I'd be just panicked about uh-huh. what that meant. And when you hide behind enough of a shield of fiction, everything can feel more. To for me, it just feels more honest.
0: So. Now, after having done a movie, are 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 you thinking you want to make more? Or are you thinking like kind of return back to plays or something? Like, where's where's your headspace now, and sort of like where what you want to do creatively next?
1: I want to do both. I'll never stop writing plays, but I a hundred percent. I I feel like a, a very like I'm so grateful that this opportunity came my way because. I have always wanted to direct and I have always thought visually and I have always wanted to write original movies and direct them. And I think, I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, even if you're in a lane within the film industry, maybe you're a screenwriter or maybe you're an actor. It can be very hard once people, if you have good enough luck and someone says you're a playwright, you write good plays, that's what you do. It can be very terrifying slash just logistically very hard to, it's hard enough to make a movie if you are a film director and you've done it it can be very hard to convince anyone else that you can do that once you get past you know a certain age and you haven't been to film school um, so for me it took like I think I should have been thinking about this more because I was thinking about it more practically I think I didn't because I was scared and I also what just felt like um, I was underestimating the knowledge that I was gaining that wasn't you know, literal classes, but that was what was I learning working with all the great directors that I work with. Um, you don't even know what you're absorbing until you get old enough to sometimes go like, OK, well, I've worked with like seven really great directors that I've admired. And you don't even think of that as like a master class, like watching them. You know, you see how everybody works with different actors differently. Um, there are or there are many techniques to getting good results. Um, and so in some ways, maybe I, I needed this time. I don't think I would have made a good movie in my 20s. I think I probably would have been trying to please too many other people. And, and my favorite movies are all special in my eyes because they feel like people I like in that they're hard to describe. They're a little weird, but they're also like confident in their DNA. And so they are what they are. Um, and that for me, I wasn't that kind of bold um I cared too much about what everyone thought and Mm -hmm. uh, when I was 22 if somebody let me make a movie um I think it would have been terrible um (laughs) and so in some ways it's like it's just gratitude that like uh I didn't say like well no I didn't make a movie by 35 so I'll never so I should never do it um that was the big fear but now I hope to do it again for sure
0: it, that's exciting uh one last kind of more fun question that i'll ask you before uh time runs out uh i really like asking directors um that i talk with if you had to program a double feature to to go with your film what what would your selection be
1: oh what a great question um i think i've kind of given it away a little bit but i guess well if i was doing a double feature i think hmm i think it would definitely be yee but then I'd want to combine it with uh, maybe House, The Horrific.
0: Oh, <laughs> S- sign me up for that! I mean, so why don't we go more extreme? Because I
1: feel like I already told you that the three movies that were sort of more direct inspiration, and I think there's something great about like the craziest haunted house experience, sort of mixed with. Um, uh, sort of a very patient quiet stroll through a, a naturalistic look at a at
0: a family hey i think you've given all the 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 listeners like a terrific thanksgiving weekend to have with the family you know it started off with with yee yee then maybe like escalated a little bit with the humans and then just like wind down the weekend with the like insanity of house i i think that's a terrific program okay cool So um, when I talked with Steven yesterday, uh, one of the things he mentioned was um, that you actually had not seen the play before uh, doing the movie. Um, so I'm fascinated to hear kind of what it was about either the script or just like the project as a whole, as a whole that was like really exciting to you and whether or not you now have any desire to like go and see the play if there's ever like a, a production of it or whether this it, that would just be like a weird experience knowing that you were a, a, a part of this other version of it.
2: Oh no, I would love to see the play. I always meant to see the play. I just never got around to being in town at the right time and having the hours to do it. Um, my agent always said, you got to see this play. You have to see this play. So, uh, it was just uh, my bad planning, but yeah, I would love to see it. Um, I it was the script. It was the text that he wrote i mean it was just it's brilliant that you know and pretty and the part you look at the part and you say can i bring anything to this or you know do i have something to offer i sometimes you don't you look at it and you go no I but um it was a pretty quick decision you know it was uh...
0: yeah i mean when you get a script like that i mean it's so interesting because watching the movie it's so visual in a lot of its languages i mean how is that kind of like when you're reading it, are, it is, are these these passages that are just sort of like we're viewing the characters through like a blurred window and something like that? Are you able to kind of visualize the, the sort of visual language of the movie as you're kind of reading it?
2: No, I don't <laughs> ever seem to be able to do that. Um, uh, I, you know, you have an idea, but it's never what it turns out to be. Um, uh, but it's just, it's, it's the relationships, it's the writing, the way he makes these people sound like they really could come from Scranton. Pennsylvania and it uh, you know and, and it, the dialogue is dialogue you hear every day from people yet at the same time it's it it's profound and I don't know how you do that that's that's the well I will yeah, yeah I do have an idea and I've been I've been using this example for the last two or three days because it hit me when I was sh- shooting the um the last scene of the movie and most people would have caught on to this a lot quicker but it took me th- that long is when um and after I had told my daughters of my infidelity, and um, uh, they Beanie ran up the stairs out to the roof. She was so distraught, and you think, you know, can this ever, can I ever patch this up? And he has this panic attack, and, and at the very end, the door opens, and the the last shot of the movie, and she comes in, and she says, Dad, we're waiting for you in the car. And and that's, that's Stephen Caram's way and most people's way of saying, I still love you, dad. Right. And, And so that's what he does constantly through the movie is take these everyday experiences and make them profound, which they are. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, another thing I really love about the movie is you and the rest of the cast, you guys all feel like a real family and that dynamic I know is really hard to, to get in these, these family dramas like that. How did you guys sort of get that closeness or get that authenticity on screen together? Were you guys like meeting afterwards to like get coffee or stuff and like spending time together, or is it just something that came naturally?
2: Well, we had eight days of rehearsal together, all of us around a table, and that, that always helps to, to get to know people. Um, and, and it, you know, a little luck involved in that. It turns out we all really liked each other, and um, we still have a group text that we we go back (laughs) but it's you know it's just luck is part of it we just it it isn't anything we consciously there, there wasn't any striving to become a family we just kind of were and it felt really always felt real and uh comfortable and eating dinner and sitting around talking it was just always um easy and i don't know why i don't know why i mean usually it comes from the director you know he sets the tone he or she And and you know, um, Stephen made us comfortable immediately. Um, Wanted us to get familiar with each other and the the text. And and you know, we take a break. We all talk. And Jane and I are both Midwesterners, and so we we talked about that a lot. You know, um, uh, uh, Amy was hilarious, and uh, Beanie is as sweet as she seems. And
0: Stephen
2: Wow. Stephen Young is this uh, is this incredible young actor and dude he said and then and um June Squibb is the great June Squibb so we I mean we just had a ball doing it we really had fun
0: yeah I mean I I I think that authenticity um and that you you also talked about like I read somewhere that you mentioned this is the closest you've ever felt to sort of living your own life on screen and I, I was just fascinated to hear you talk more about that and what it whether or not there's any like real life connections that you saw between you and this character or whether it was the the process and kind of how um Stephen shot the thing and kind of being a little bit more removed from the the actors in some cases I mean what what kind of made this experience so special to you
2: well it uh, it felt like um everybody's kind of hiding something and uh, uh but there there isn't any dialogue to it 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 it, it just felt real that's what mm-hmm. it felt real it, it's it, it's not a matter of being natural or that but it just felt real the whole thing <clears throat> um and uh it, you know the family felt real the the dinner was real the, the uh um it, the way he shot it made it feel real there wasn't you didn't do master you know two shot over the shoulder close up it just you it just didn't shoot it that way he, he shot it and sometimes in ways he didn't know where the camera was and so the camera was never you know it just wasn't part of the uh equation for the first time in my in my career uh, uh you know the first few days i kept saying where is it where's the camera <laughs> And then I used to stop after a while and, and, and it just felt like, um, it just felt like a family. And uh, I think everybody agrees with that, but I, I,
0: you know, I don't know why. Yeah. Does, Does that kind of free you up a little bit or to, to not quite know where the camera is and, and just sort of being able to like be present in the moment or, or as, as an actor, does that kind of maybe add like an extra level of pressure where you're sort of like, I don't know what direction I'm being filmed at. What angle is it like? Do I need to be looking this way, that way?
2: Well, you know, as you go and it's sometimes the more you think about that stuff, the, the, the less helpful it is. And, mm. you know, they'll tell you if they can't see you. Mm-hmm. They'll tell you if, if they don't want to see the back of your head, they want to see your face. And, uh, you know, if, or, or if you're in the light or not in the light. And, and you, you, you try to be as helpful as you can. <laughs> But um it's it's better if those are not something
0: if those things are not in your head when you're mm-hmm. working. Yeah. So another like interesting aspect of your character is your your character really seems to struggle with a lot of kind of outward anxieties about the world and and you know, I as someone who has their own anxiety is kind of really related to that. And um, you know, I think we're in this sort of time in the last couple of years where I think a lot of people are are dealing with their own anxieties about the world and, and about their own inner lives. Is that something that you've been kind of like conscious of either while you guys were, were filming the project or, or kind of in the, the months since um, completing it and, and sort of thinking about the time it is sort of being unleashed onto the world.
2: Yeah, you can't, it's just always there, isn't it? <laughs> it never goes away. Just always there. Um, but I think, Eric, Eric has done something. Eric is really in trouble,
3: mm-hmm. really in trouble.
2: And um, I think the fact that he participates and and is as engaged as he is
3: is is a feat for him at this mm-hmm.
2: time in his life, you know. Um, and it's he and Deirdre have made this decision that he would tell them today what what happened, and um, you know that's that's a that's i i I, when i read this i I kept thinking what what is he thinking about when he goes to the window what is he thinking about Mm. who's really calling him on the telephone does he really go up to upstairs to check on the football game the scores of the football game or or does he just need to get away what is he thinking about where uh, you know it's and i love the fact that it's never answered i i have an answer in my head Mm -hmm. never told anybody um but it's it's um, that's what I mean. I, that's what great writers do. You know, they, they they don't they don't have Beanie come in in the last frame and say, "Dad, I really still love you, but we're working on our
0: issues." You know, that's like that's right. It's not, not what he does. I mean,
2: you read a lot of stuff, and that's exactly what happens.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But, um, um, yeah. So it's it's really he gives the actor, even though he's very specific about his dialogue and where it goes and you use a lot of overlapping, but it has to be, you know, you have to, to do it. If you do it in the right spot, it works. And if you don't, it doesn't. Um, if you do it in the right place where he puts it, you can hear both things. But mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're a little late or a little early, it's, uh, it's confusing. So, so that, but he was really, um, uh, it was a beautiful thing because he let all of us kind of figure out who we were
0: well, I definitely also wanted to ask you about kind of like your journey as an actor and you're one of my favorite character actors. And I'm I'm fascinated here. Kind of like what what made you want to be an actor? Were there any kind of movies or plays or performances that you saw at kind of an impressionable age where you're, you know, the light bulb just goes off and you're like, hey, I think that's that's I want to do that. I can do that. I, you know, I've wanted to do it
2: ever since I can remember. hmm. It's the only thing I've ever wanted really to do. I, I grew up in a, a, um, a, a small town um, with a lot of farms, a lot of corn, um, in about 60 miles west of Chicago. And I never saw a play until high school, I think. And, and I saw, and I was actually in one. I had six lines or something. But um, and I was in a play in junior high school, and that, that's about it. But I remember going to the movies all the time and thinking, how do you, how do you do that? What is that? That's, I always, I always, I always um, thought I wanted to be an actor. I don't think I told anybody. I did tell my father one time, and, and he, he was not happy about it, but,
3: uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> um, but, but I didn't know that. I, I you
2: know, it's a story. Here I go again. I'm going to tell the same story. It's like, <laughs> use it or not, because I told him for 10 years, but when I was about in seventh grade, I uh, I came home and I told my parents I wanted to be an actor. I, I don't even remember this, but mm-hmm. I left the room and I, I didn't know I didn't I didn't know this event happened until I read it in the local newspaper when they did an article on me when I was nominated in for uh, the Visitor in two thousand seven. And I left the room and he, my father, turned to my mother and he, and I was an only child. And he said, I, I will not allow this. I said, no, and he's not going to tell. No. no, he'll starve to death. You, no, you don't get no. And she said, oh, relax, please. He said, no, I'm I, I. so she called up the English teacher that directed the play I was in in junior high school. And she said, my husband's being unreasonable. <laughs> my son came home and said he wanted to be an actor, and he said he wouldn't allow it. And she said, put him on the phone. So he got on the phone and, and he said, no, I'm sorry, I, I just will not allow it. I'm I, he'll starve to death. And she said, okay, all right, you can put your foot down. But if you do, you have to be willing to accept the fact that he will never forgive you for the rest of his life. Now, if you're willing to live with that, you go right ahead. And my dad was my biggest supporter. I never, I never, ever had an inkling that he was, so he must've been terrified, uh, Uh you know, but he never, he, and it makes it so much easier if you have parents that support you in, in your life decisions.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: You, you know, and, uh, and so I, I never got a chance to thank him. I never got a chance to thank my mom. Uh, I did, I did go back to a reunion and I looked up my seventh grade teacher and I thanked her, but, um, yeah, that, that's, I've always, I've always
3: wanted to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I, and then when I got to college, I really had no experience. And <clears throat> I felt like everybody in my in the school of drama that I was in, in a small university, um, had all this
2: experience, and I didn't. And I was I was kind of... I felt like a real outsider, and, and I felt really untalented. <laughs> and, and I went to movies one night, and I saw Alfie with Michael Caine. Mm.
3: This
0: was 1966, and I just... I don't know something i i mean i think you find movies
2: when you need them definitely and you, movies you find may not be the best or but but it, they they speak to you and they're it, it, talking about something that that you're thinking about and that's what i'm thinking about being an actor and then this guy comes on and gives this extraordinary performance and it, it was like that i just said god and i found myself just lost in this world and i thought that's that's what i want to do why am i why am i why am i wondering if i should do this or not
0: mm-hmm. so another thing that i really like about you you you've had this chance to work with a variety of like really really interesting directors i mean you've worked with george miller Guillermo del toro mike nichols the cone brothers was there ever like a moment or an experience where you're you know you're on set and you're like i i I can't believe I'm here. I'm like getting to work with this person. This is like huge figure or a moment where you, you kind of learned something about yourself that maybe you hadn't discovered yet from, from one of these kind of big filmmakers.
2: Yeah. You do. You just are. um, I mean, all of them you mentioned, I I remember Mike Nichols, me, Mike Nichols, I went up to his apartment in in New York and, and read for a play he was directing and he offered me, um, the understudy. Uh, he wanted me to understudy all the parts in the play, all the male parts. I can't. <laughs> I not do that. Um, so I never thought I'd hear from him again. And then when I did, I, I just there's something about him. I never heard him repeat himself.
0: Huh. Oh God, I do it all the time. I, I, I um, Guillermo, is kind of like Mike Nichols in, in the sense they're both incredibly. Um,
2: versed in conversation. Um, Guillermo knows so much about a lot of things. I, I used to ask him questions just to see if he knew anything about <laughs> the subject. I was and he always did. You know, he I was this is another story. We were on a flight. We we're going to the Venice Film Festival and he was next to me and he said, Oh, it was a great flight. I I got four hours of sleep and I read a book and I, I said you mean you, you you how far are you in the book? He said I read the book. <laughs> whole book. yeah i read the book uh, and he's always doing something he's always watching something reading something
3: um uh, he just is interested in a
2: lot of things and most of these people are that's their they have incredible curiosity they're they're interested in what you bring they're there um so yeah it's it's you know it's it's an extraordinary when you I look back on my life it, as an actor it's like Geez, I really got to meet these people and work with them, and yeah, it's fantastic,
0: fantastic. Yeah, and you've also gotten to work in, I think, a variety of different really fun genres. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine last night, mentioning that I was going to get a, a chance to talk to you, and he was just listing off all of these movies, like you know, comedies like Burn After Reading, or horror stuff like Cabin in the Woods. Are are you all kind of thinking at all about like? wanting to check different genres off of like a box or something like that? Or is it just sort of the right script comes at the right time and, and, or, and what is it usually about a script that makes you think like, this is something I really want to be a part of?
2: Well, no, I, I'm not clever enough to you know, have a list of, <laughs> <laughs> It just, I read something and if I, if I like the writing and like what I read, I look at this part and I say, can I, does this interest me? Can I bring something to this? Do I mm-hmm. have anything to offer this project? And sometimes you feel you don't. So um, you, you just have to,
0: I just, it's a gut feeling. It's a feeling of, I want to be a part of this. This is, for some reason, I I, I love this. I can't specifically say why. Yeah.
2: The Cabin in the Woods, I just thought it was, you know, just such a mind bender and really fun.
0: Yeah i I went back and like watched clips from that last night after my friend had mentioned and was was just like i don't know he's he's so funny in this movie and and it's it's such a like wild crazy and and i think he uses you and your personality so well um for that character um i tell you, when i i
2: when i read the scene of the office pool uh-huh when the, you know the, the, who who was gonna win the money for which door she opened to get killed i, I said okay i'm in I, I i gotta do this i gotta do this uh, you know just another day at the office
0: yeah <laughs> well one one last question that uh i i a lot of people in my life would probably be furious at me if i didn't ask you about stepbrothers in some instance but i i specifically wanted to to, to mention um that you i think have the funniest moment in the entire movie which is the the dinosaur speech and um that that is the one moment of that movie that it, it, someone could play it for me like at any mood i'm feeling at, at my lowest and i'll probably be like howling with laughter so i uh, do you have any kind of um fun stories from that set or or even specifically how does such a like hilariously absurd scene like that come together i know adam mckay is someone who just loves throwing out improvisation on the fly
2: yeah well that's what he did he's added it's adam mckay he said go tell the two guys that you used to be a dinosaur <laughs> and i said well, what he said just say you wanted to be a dinosaur just talk about it. i said adam, what are you what are you talking about and he said we well, just just go to so i did and then we he i came back and 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 he, we kind of messed with it a little bit. And, and he said, well, try this. And I said, okay. And, and as I'm talking, both Will and John are going, dad, that's so stupid. You can't be a dinosaur. (laughs) And and, uh, uh, we finished and I said, oh, that won't be in the movie. And Adam McKay said, yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just one of those things that happened. And, um, is so stupid (laughs) that
0: it's hilarious i agree Uh, well it's 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 brought a lot of joy to 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 me over my that's the point of that film you know yeah exactly well uh thank you so much again for for taking time out of your busy day to to talk and congratulations on on the film and i i believe correct me if i'm wrong you're um the also in the new del toro movie that's coming out here soon nightmare
2: not, not really, yes
0: i am yeah any exciting little tidbits about that or just what it was like to work with him again a second time
2: well it was just as much fun as it was the first time he, he yeah you know it's like it's a whole different world and you're in Guillermo del toro's world it's a different
0: right when i when i did shape of water i walked onto my set and sally's Set was right next to where I lived. our
2: two apartments above that theater. And um, it was so beautiful. And yet it was, I mean, everything in it was, there, everything in it was, there was natural, it was naturalism there from the easel to the, to the, but nothing was real. It was a piece of art. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember calling my wife and saying, you have to come up here and see this because it's like walking into a painting right and her room was in in blues and greens and mine was reds and dark browns and and that that's that's Guillermo you know that's the world he he inhabits and to for you to be able to be a part of it's just so cool and the same was for Nightmare Alley it is a whole world I saw it the other night oh wow it's just so cool i mean it's just so cool it's like nobody makes a movie like like that but like here
0: definitely definitely well th- thank you again and i'm greatly looking forward to seeing you in that one as well